4: Welcome to Car Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
3: Hello and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm your host Scott Benjamin. I'm Ben Bolin, and we are joined, as always, with our super producer Kurt Vitamin G Garen. How's it
5: going, Kurt? That's going great. How are you guys doing? Vitamin G, I like it. You like it because you wrote that
4: one. <laughs> <laughs> and I like it too. Uh, I thought that was great. I like your own material. I guess that's good. <laughs> uh, we'll see how it flies in the uh, in the real world, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today, guys, uh, we have something a little bit different to talk about. If that's if that's all right, we've got uh, something that a uh, little bit a little Bit out of our wheelhouse, but it's something that we're observers of, and we think is, are, is interesting, right?
3: Right. Yeah. Car stuff is a show about everything that floats, flies, swims, or drives.
4: Yeah. Uh, these uh, <laughs> these sometimes fly. Uh, they drive around a little bit, I guess. Um, <laughs> Kurt, this is what this is one of your ideas. Uh, it came from you know we have these lists of ideas that we kind of you know circulate between the three of us of you know thing possible shows things that we want to do. And uh, one of the things that Kurt wanted to talk about was uh, was ultralight aircraft, and I found it really fascinating. It was just you know simply a line item. You know, Kurt thought, well, I'll throw this on the list and see if that uh, see if this idea flies. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's terrible, but. Um yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating as well. There's, there's, gosh, I don't know if there's a long history that we need to go into or anything, but just kind of, just, I just really want to have a discussion about the crafts themselves and the people that fly them and and how they're made and and some of the surprising regulations or lack of regulations that go into <laughs> um, um, getting one of these things up in the air. I think I think it's fascinating. So, so before we begin, though, Kurt, I, I just we we had an off-air discussion briefly about this, and, and you don't necessarily have any firsthand experience with these, right?
5: No, other than seeing them in the air.
4: Yeah, yeah, same here, really, but I guess there's a, there's a bit of a family tie-in we'll talk about later that you know, we should discuss at some point, but um, I find them fascinating as well. I mean, you, you said as a kid you, you've seen them around and, and were kind of intrigued by them, right? Yeah, there was one in particular
5: that I used to see all the time flying overhead and never dawned on me exactly what was going on up there. It just looked neat. And Mm -hmm. now as an adult, as I think about it, I realize how nuts it is to (laughs) sit up there in one of these things and just cruise around.
4: Yeah, it's a little bit terrifying to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, so this was a, was it a neighbor? Did you know who the person was? Um. No, I did not. You sure it wasn't a remote control vehicle? No, it was <laughs> definitely an ultralight airplane,
5: yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, because they sound a lot similar, don't they, when they're in the yeah, air. Oh, yeah, they, they do. yeah, distant they, buzz. Yeah, they really do have, like, a just a high-pitched buzz. You're right. It sounds like a, a great big lawnmower flying over. Right. Mm-hmm. Scott, I want to get back to something that
3: you mentioned. Uh, this is going to be good news for anybody in the Hold My Beer and Watch This crowd, mm. uh, and it's the following. When we think of ultralights, of course, we also think of... Other kinds of aviation, right? Everything from uh, military craft to little Cessnas and so on. Yeah. To fly one of those, you need a pilot's license. Yeah. Makes sense, right? Uh, Of course it does. Uh, You need to get probably a uh, a physical of some sort to evaluate your physical and mental readiness. Yeah. ability. Mm -hmm. You have to, and to get the pilot's license, you have to log a ton of flight hours. Sure. You don't have to do that with an ultralight. This is true. An ultralight does not require a license or a medical certificate of any kind due to a federal aviation regulation called Part 103. And Part 103 is just that piece of detail somewhere in the great tome of the Federal Aviation Regulation that defines what an ultralight actually is. And maybe that's where we should should start, uh, because it's kind of a you-know-it-when-you-see-it thing, but we do have some pretty solid quantitative constraints that define an ultralight.
4: Oh, sure, yeah. And I've I've actually, just this morning, I looked up the FAR Part 103 regulation, you know, that is there the exemption for ultralight, and it's a lengthy piece of text, and there's no way we're going to read through it, but it has been boiled down in many places, just kind of to the bare elements. And it's pretty simple, really. And these are just for the United States. There's, uh, there are other regulations in different countries. Yeah. And these standards are just for the United States and these are subject to change, of course. I mean, I think that they do change occasionally, but for the most part, these have remained in place for a long, long time. Now, the first one uh, is, who are, you mentioned this already, they're not required to meet any kind of Aeronautical knowledge, age, or experience requirements in order to, um, you know, have have this uh, the ability to fly one of these things. You right, you have to have an airman or a medical certificate in order to be able to do this. The vehicle itself should only have one seat here in the United States. That's a little different in other countries. You can have a passenger,
3: right? But only
4: two. That's the maximum in an ultralight craft in in any across other country. The world, yeah. yeah, across the world. But but the United States is not alone in having just one. Ah, uh, one seat uh, you know rule, by the way, there are other countries that say you know one only is the is the limit. It also can be used only for recreational sport or sport flying. That's I guess. The idea would be that, you know, you're not going to run a crop duster operation out of this. You're not going to transport people for money in this. You're not going to use that as your mail delivery vehicle unless it's, unless you're in a re- very remote place and that's really about the only way to get them there or dog sled.
3: Yeah, it's your flying go-kart. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of what yeah. it is. And also, there's some hard restrictions, again, as you said, Scott, in the U.S., on fuel capacity, on the weight uh, on the speed. I think the maximum fuel capacity for an ultralight craft here in the U.S. is only five gallons.
4: Yeah, five gallons. 19 liters is the is the maximum fuel that you can have on board. And I think a lot of this plays into the weight. There's a maximum takeoff weight for these vehicles as well. Now, that, I guess, of oh, course, that includes the uh, the occupant, right, and the right. fuel and all that. However, if you just look at the craft itself, the vehicle itself, if it's powered, um, oh, that's another thing we have to talk about. There are gliders also, and then there's powered and unpowered. Right. Okay. So the unpowered vehicles have to weigh less than 155 pounds. So that's the glider type of mm-hmm. uh, vehicle, of course. I mean, it's the one that just don't, you know, the ones that don't have any engine. You're just uh, up there on, on the wind, and that's about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones are powered, and they have to weigh less than 254 pounds empty. Now that also that excludes. Floats and safety devices, things like that. So, you know, they know that you know, you're going to need that type of thing. As
3: right, well. right. That's just the craft and the engine for the powered yeah.
4: aircraft. Also, yeah. also interesting that they didn't just round it up to 255. Yeah, that's what I, I found that strange too. Like what, a, what an odd number, two, 254 pounds. It ha- probably has to do something with like the, when they were initially starting this whole thing and and character, you know, um, I guess characterizing that first ultralight aircraft that they were going to say, here's the one that we're going to build our restrictions based around.
3: I don't know, man, that choice to make it 99 instead of 100 pounds heavier <laughs> the, that is a yeah. very specific choice and it feels like someone with uh, a legislative or legal background was involved yeah it feels it like does. a flex
4: it does doesn't it and you know they also have top speeds that they're allowed to achieve right yeah so a top speed is is only 55 knots which is about 63 miles per hour that is at full power in level flight, so not particularly quick. So they're easy to spot if they're in the air. <laughs> they're not going to fly over, and you know you're not going to hear them, and and kind of miss seeing them. You know, it's, right. it's like when you hear them, they're they're right there. Also, they have a uh, stall speed, which is relatively low. I mean, 24 knots, uh, again, 28 miles per hour. They're just gliding at that point. Yeah, very, very slow speed. Um, but, but some of the other things, you know, we talked about, um, you know, not requiring a, a license. But certification <laughs> for the craft itself is also pretty lax, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very lax,
3: actually. It it, kind of makes sense because one thing that might surprise a lot of us in the audience today to learn about ultralight is that ultralight is very much an umbrella term. It's the constraints that we just presented apply to no less than six distinct types of ultralight craft. Uh, And I think there's I think some of us may have had experience with one of these actually. Or more, because believe it or not, uh, a hot air balloon qualifies. Really? As Well, it qualifies as a lighter than air, mm. ultralight. No kidding. Okay. Yeah. These could be, they're, they're uh, backpack balloons. They're <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's boy. what they're called. Uh, uh, right? It's a great idea, right? Oh, uh, and curtain. Uh,
4: <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> All right,
3: guys. Uh, and then, you know, they're uh, powered airships. They're also the, I think the thing that most of us think about, well, I'll just, I'll do the six types real quick. Sure. There's lighter than air, ultralights, they're the power fixed wings, which I think most of us think of. Yeah. You know, that's the one where there's a, usually it's just uh it's one wide wing and probably a tail fin and then maybe three tiny wheels and and a guy looking really smug
4: looks like he's sitting in a lawn chair
3: it looks like he's sitting <laughs> in a lawn chair in the sky <laughs> yeah. which is the dream yeah. right well, that's why so, we're here
4: i guess the fixed wing ones they you know they sometimes will have a little body built around them as well um, whether yeah. that's a, a lightweight type of wood very thin veneer type wood but has you know foam inside it's going to have all the the rigidness that it's that it requires but think about back look go back to the uh, the wright brothers in their plane i mean that was that was uh, cloth Right, you know, covered in cloth. Yeah, that uh, had, thing was just a fire hazard. It, it, well, <laughs> it's it's very lightweight wood frame, but it had cloth covering, and that's not all that uncommon. And that that type of design carried. I mean, people use that type of design in, of course, in warplanes, even right. uh, World War One, World War. I don't know about World War Two. Maybe not at that point. But um, I think it depended maybe. on the military. Yeah. Yeah, the, sure. Uh, in the
3: in the conflict, it's, but a, yeah. it's
4: actually a reasonable design. I mean, if you put the right coatings on that and make sure that you know that 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 gives you the the lightweight flexibility that you need in order to build something that's substantial in size yet light enough to have a smaller engine to power it enough to get it up in the air
3: and also bring a human along. Yeah, because the thing about all the ultralights we're naming is that they do carry a human occupant. So yeah. Just from an engineering standpoint, it's pretty impressive to put this together, right? There, there's another one that I think is really interesting. The third type would be the powered parachutes or powered <laughs> gliders. Yeah, do you know what I'm talking I, about. I, I do, yes, yeah. yeah. Do you have any personal experience with these guys?
4: Uh, no, not not a powered parachute. No, okay. no, no. Um, but man, those are a weird design, aren't they? That's the one where you strap what looks like a. Um, like oh. a gigantic warehouse fan. Yeah, it looks like you know the the you know the airboats in Florida. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they yeah. go over the swamps like a swamp boat, I guess. Uh, that we see, and those are b- ridiculously fast and maneuverable and all that. But it's like you're putting one of those on a backpack. And just jumping off a cliff with a parachute on, really. I mean, it's it's there's really not much more to that. I mean, you take a running leap down, I mean, you run down a hillside mm-hmm. and jump into the air and and just hope you go right. I mean, yeah. that's that's the idea. You've got an a, an engine that's strapped to your back that's it's heavy that's propelling you forward, but you got to hope that everything works out just right. And I think that's the case with all of these designs. You know what? I, I, let me save my rant, I guess, to the end of this uh, this this show. But uh, and I don't even know if it's a rant, but it's more just uh, my disbelief that somebody would put enough faith in. Okay, okay, I'm getting already. Into this. <laughs> so, yeah. What are the other types of designs, Ben? Oh yeah, there's the uh,
3: <laughs> there's the rotorcraft, which can be divided into two categories: helicopters and europlanes, gyroplanes.
4: Yeah you oh you're pronouncing it like the uh, like, you know what's funny okay uh, so he, in this case it would be gyro right I mean you say gyro I believe when you're talking about something like this like don't gyro in this gyroscope for me. <laughs> a gyroplane. yeah okay but in the food sense when it's when it's like right, hey, you right. pronounce it euro right yeah oh that's funny
3: it's I just, never thought of it that way it's it, I, I think it's uh it's a weird rule. And English is a ridiculous language. Yeah. And also full disclosure, I haven't eaten anything today, so I'm very uh, into the idea of a Euro plane. Yeah. I don't know how it would work. Uh, oh, but
4: you're gonna find out later. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find out yeah. later.
3: <laughs> oh man, we used to have this great Mediterranean place across the street. It's gone. Do you remember that one? No. It has nothing to do with this show. No, I don't. Well sorry. Well late to the game, but we'll get we'll get Euros sometime. The the Gyroplanes, and you are correct, Scott. That is the correct pronunciation. The gyroplanes are sometimes referred to as gyrocopters or autogyros. Yeah. And the difference here is that a helicopter uses a powered rotor or more than one rotor, powered rotor, and rotary wings to fly Mm -hmm. and also maintain that directional control, right? The pitch, the yaw, and so on. But, uh, Gyroplane uses a traditional engine and propeller for thrust and there's an unpowered
4: rotor that helps with the lift. Whoa. Wait, really? Yeah. That's a strange idea. It I can't is. I'm going to have to look at a diagram of this thing to figure that out. That's really strange. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, that's that's an, so, okay, so that's another type, right? That's another type. That's another type. So there are people building their own helicopters. We've talked about that. Yeah. And
3: it, then there's even more, right? There's yeah, more, more types. Two more types. There's the trikes or the weight shift. Now, they are available in single-seat ultralight <laughs> versions.
4: <laughs> These, to me, look so silly. Yeah, and
3: then when you get, and you get to the two-seater version, yeah. now it's no longer an ultralight, remember? Because an ultralight in the U.S. has one
4: passenger. In the U.S.? Okay, so yeah, uh, but elsewhere, I guess a two seater it could be an ultralight, right? I mean, In another place, yeah, yeah sure, yeah. it could be classified as that. But man, it just okay. I'm, again, I'm I'm wanting to go into that uh, not not rant, but wanting to go into that questioning the, the sanity of people that that want to build these. Really, yeah. The um, uh, it sounds like a it sounds like a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, but we'll we'll talk about
3: the it. <laughs> the trike formation. One thing that's interesting there um, for for the two seater versions, yeah. It's it's like an old school biplane and as far as the seating, it's motorcycle seating. Okay, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, your yeah, yeah. your passenger is going to be directly behind you. And then the last one, of course, all unpowered ultralight fall into this single category: gliders or sailplanes. We should probably do a quick course correction for anybody who automatically thought of the stereotypical glider. You know, when you hear glider, you think, OK, there's someone who has decided to to live for the moment or they've made their peace with the great beyond. And they say the way I, I want to court death today is to run off a cliff <laughs> while I have this this very light harness, this uh, holding me to a frame uh, that that, uh, you know, should catch the wind. You're talking about
4: hang gliders. Hang gliders.
3: Mm, We usually think of hang gliders, but these unpowered gliders and sailplanes are a world beyond that. We're talking some top-notch material science to totally encase the pilot. Can you say pilot if it's a glider? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, it's a pilot. And... The, these things do often look like planes to the casual observer. They would look like a small aircraft. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, there's no engine in there, right? It's, yeah. it's entirely based on leveraging what we know about physics.
4: Okay, now I'm a little bit curious about this. Now, I, I don't think that anybody here is going to know the answer to this, but I do recall in the past hearing that you can go up for glider rides. You can pay for a glider ride where, you know, another plane tows you into the air, they disconnect, the guy wired... And uh, allow you to, you know, float back to Earth. Of course, you know you're you're soaring, and it's supposedly a beautiful experience. You know, at uh, at uh, um, sunset or sunrise or whatever, and you know you land safely at the the airport that you took off from after you know whatever it is. Maybe a thirty minute flight, an unpowered flight. You know, if you've got a skilled person behind the uh, the yoke or whatever the control is in a, in a uh-huh. glider. But I'm curious now, though, I didn't think that you are allowed to have a second person. So maybe there's a second category of these that is a a different type of glider. Um, These are the ones with, like, enormous wingspans, though, the ones that have, you know, a 50-foot wingspan. It looks like 50 feet anyway.
3: Right. Yeah, to qualify for ultralight status still, any of those six categories have to, in the U.S., only have one person. But there are things like sailplanes that may have—essentially, it's this. Whenever you have more than one person, even if all the other rules of the ultralight glider are are checked off successfully, Mm -hmm. that thing automatically becomes an aircraft, Ah. like a small light aircraft. Requiring different licensing, et cetera. Requiring different licensing. Okay, yeah. Because someone else's life is in your hands now. Yeah,
4: yeah, you're right. And you know what? I mean... just to get back to this just a little bit, the certification, yeah. I mean, ultralight vehicles and, and all of their components and equipment are not required to meet any kind of airworthiness certification or, or standards that are specified for aircraft. So that's the differentiation between what you were just talking about, the sailplanes with two seats or more, or I guess just two probably in a, in a sailplane. You wouldn't really have more than that, I don't think. I don't think there are any three ha- that have three, uh, capacity for three rather. But the ultralights themselves don't have to have any kind of certificates for airworthiness or anything like that, which is crazy to me. I mean, that sounds absurd that you're going to be in an aircraft that doesn't really require a certificate for airworthiness. I mean, it's up to you to decide whether that thing is going to fly or not. Yeah. You can have them inspected, of course, and you probably should. I mean, that's another part of this is that you don't have to have any kind of training to do it. You don't have to have any kind of expertise in order to build one of these yourself, but it's strongly suggested that you have them checked out by somebody who knows what they're doing. Somebody yeah. that is, is, you know, competent and capable of doing this. Somebody with, that has some sort of, of aeronautical knowledge, you know, a, a basis in in the, the basics, you know, that, that knows what you're going to require and what's right, what's not right, that type of thing. Because for you to fly, you know, you're op- as an operator yourself, you don't have to have any kind of aeronautical knowledge. You don't have to meet any kind of age requirement. Uh, there has to... There's no experience requirement necessary. You don't have to have, you know, a certain number of hours as a passenger in one of these vehicles. Obviously, you can't. Really, that first time up for you in an ultralight, technically, should be your first time up in the air in that craft ever. You're not going to get, like, a ride-along to see how your craft operates under the control of, a uh, you know, somebody who's a master or somebody who's, you know, a certified, or a certified pilot. You're just going to have to get up there and go for it and hope that everything works out right. I mean, and I know... A lot of pilots that do have licenses are the ones that end up behind you know the controls of these things. So it's not always just somebody that has no experience and decides they're going to build a plane in their garage. It's sometimes it's somebody who does have a lot of experience in flight and lots of hours of experience, and they and they do this. And and I feel a little bit better about those people. <laughs> you know that they that they are up there above us. You know above crowded areas or above you know crowds or whatever. Um, and they've got a little bit of experience, but there's there's no registration for these vehicles at all. They don't have to have registration markings like other planes do as well. Right, they're like even even I mean, geez, even watercraft have to be registered and have markings on them. These don't have to. Uh, there, there is just such a a wild west world, really, when you think about the way ultralights operate. It's so yeah, strange.
5: I just can't imagine not having any training especially these days when there's all sorts of virtual experiences you can engage in mm-hmm. there doesn't right. still doesn't seem to be any even virtual type training to fly an ultralight aircraft. though
4: there might be. Wouldn't that be cool? There I'd should be. be. Uh, you know, it, I guess uh, maybe the closest you could come to this would be, you know, uh, an at-home video game. You yeah, know, like some a flight of, simulator type thing. Yeah, like a console game that you would play, but that doesn't give you any kind of real sensation. I mean, it's not like you're getting into, you know, a multi-million dollar uh, simulator. Like a lot of these airline companies provide for pilots yeah. to train and to, to, you know, to refine their skill do you want it,
3: you want to know something nuts well sure uh my girlfriend's dad actually builds those for builds those simulators that no kidding. commercial pilots go on yeah yeah, and you can get into them but they're really they're they're pretty pricey oh, like yeah. i I can see the appeal of an ultralight for someone who's curious about aviation simply because you don't have to get a private pilot license or the you know the sport pilot license, which is a little easier to get. Yeah. You can, as you said, Scott, literally build this thing in your backyard, take it into the air.
4: You don't have to have insurance even. No. You should, but you don't have to. You really should. You know, can I tell you how extreme this goes? I mean, just just so that people have a, a like a clear understanding of how simple this is. You can go to sites and you can You know, find kits, of course, and you could find plans if you wanted to do it that way. You could, you know, build your own kit, I guess, or you could order a kit. Uh, But you can go to a site, and I I just... For example here, I went to one called EAA.org, and they have ultralight manufacturers, and there are links to a bunch of different companies that have, you know, fixed wing, scrolling down here to look. They have powered parachutes, they have trikes, they have uh, concept aviation craft, I guess. These are all concepts, really. A lot of them are. Helicopters, they have powered paragliders. They've got all kinds of categories of, of ultralight that you can order kits from, or at least Linked to the manufacturers to purchase the kits, and they're often they are several thousand dollars in price. Right? There's another route you could go here, and that is that you could just kind of go at it yourself if you want. And there's a guy that I've I found this morning. I was watching just a very short video. It's about five minutes long. Uh-huh. And it's real simple to find online. If you want to do a, a keyword search, you can find this guy, and and you'll probably have a good chuckle at how he how he speaks and everything. He's he's just kind of a. a kind of a, a down-home kind of guy, if, if that conveys that message. Um, but this guy has put together a plane, an ultralight plane, entirely from parts that he sourced from Home Depot. Entirely. Every part is from Home Depot. And I, I thought, well, okay, that's, how's that possible? But then you realize, well, okay, of course it's got a very, very small engine. It has a 10-horsepower Tecumseh lawnmower engine. That that's what powers this thing, and that makes sense because that's a, a approximately what all these these guys are flying with anyway. Um, mm-hmm. He's got uh, uh, plans that you can purchase from him if you want to. If you want to go to his website, it's like you know, I think it's like fifty dollars to buy the plans for this this craft. But his name is Jack Harper, and so if you look up Jack Harper, Home Depot ultralight, you'll probably find this guy's video online, and, and it's just it shows you kind of a um, quick view of. Some build photographs, you know, along the way of, you know, him building the thing. And um, mostly it's an interview that's done by another guy that's uh, that's kind of, I mean, honestly, the guy is kind of laughing at him a little bit, but the guy is at an ultralight show or an air show showing off what he's done, and it flies. It really does, it operates. Um, but it's it's clever the way he designed it and kept it lightweight enough to, you know, meet the, the standards for the ultra, ultralight. Jack Harper. That's it, Jack Harper, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jack Harper, uh, and he's out of Jacksonville, Florida. And, um, again, real, real simple plans, but it's an all-wood aircraft. There's some foam in the wings, like I would mentioned. Uh, this real light engine, you can buy plans. Yeah, I think in the uh, the video, he's uh, lamenting the fact that, you know, Home Depot won't pay him uh, to, <laughs> to, to advertise this plan. You know, he says, you know, you've got a, an airplane here in your, you know, in, in, your, in store. your store. It's in your store. I can tell you how to bring all these parts together and make one. And it works, and I think his his example is a bright yellow one. It looks looks like a lot like um, some other kits that I've seen, some other ultralight kits. So it's not that different. It has things like you know, it looks like wheelbarrow wheels maybe uh, as the three wheels that you know the, the landing gear, I suppose that's all, that are always out. Um, Of course, there's, you know, wires and things like that that you source by the foot, you know, on spools and the wood, of course, and you have to cut all this to, you know, the right specifications and everything. But he'll he'll sell you the plans for 50 bucks, apparently.
3: You know, this reminds me of... I don't know if you guys ever saw this growing up, but uh, this reminds me of all those ads I would see in uh, Boy Scout magazines or in old comic books (laughs) where you'd have stuff like, build your own plane. Yeah. Uh, It was right next to buy this whoopee cushion. <laughs> yeah, oh,
4: but you know what? I love... It. I, I am the same way, and Kurt, I don't know if you have the same experience or not, but looking through those old magazines when you were a kid and all of those ads were so intriguing. Right. With, yeah. Like, you build a hovercraft using vacuum engines. You know, come on. Who doesn't want to do that? But I never did it. I never built it. But it, it was always like, okay, the pl- well, the plans are... $9. Or, or I think at the time they were probably $1.99 or something yeah. you know, or less. But well, still get look, your imagination
5: going for it, sure. They really do, yeah. Even and, and if you
4: didn't ever partake
5: in the activity of making whatever they were describing. Oh, sure. You still thought, hey, it's possible. How many With Some ki- plans. Yeah.
3: How many kids, though, paid five or ten bucks? Mm-hmm. And thought they were getting the actual aircraft in the mail.
4: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a version of this, and this is a, just kind of a little bit off topic, I guess. But same magazines. I don't remember which ones they were sure. really. It was Boys Life or whatever. But in the back, there was always ads for, um, you know, you. Could, this was one that would arrive in the mail. You'd have to assemble it, but it was like a you know twelve foot nuclear submarine, and you know that would arrive, and it was cardboard, of course, and you build it in your house. And the submarine, but it it claimed to have, you know, missiles that would launch. I mean, uh, torpedoes, rather, that would launch. And, you know, periscope design and all this. And (laughs) I wonder what that looked like if you actually ordered one. I never did. But it was, you know, they were always like $10 for a 12-foot sub. And you you never saw,
3: but you never saw the uh, pictures of any of those things Mm -hmm. in the
4: water. Oh, man, I could go for a 12-foot sub right now. You torture me. I could also... Go you know, it's been a it's been a long time since I've been to a party that had one of those giant party subs. You know, like the, the cut off. You know, you think, all right, there's you know twenty people here. I'm, I'm going to need more than a six foot sub because you know you can eat. You know, yeah, I could eat a foot long sub at, at lunch, right? That's not a problem. Sure, no, but it that, doesn't work that way. You get you know like two inches of the thing, and right. you're stuffed because it's all bread. I that
3: is a error in the design of subs. Yeah the the bread content is
4: often just far beyond what it needs to be so you're thinking 20 people at a at a party you make the sub like you would n- normally make a foot long sub only you make it like 20 feet long and yeah. everybody gets a foot of that sub yeah i'm glad
3: you're with me on the math here i i think that's a good
4: like, good idea of course getting at home is the problem
3: oh yeah yeah no you want a third-party venue for for any <laughs> sub get together you want a third-party venue wait have you really this is i i just i'm dying of curiosity Have you been to a party where there was a giant sub? Yeah, in fact, I've had to order one,
4: yeah, for a party in the past. Wow, In the past, you know, like having a Super Bowl party or something like that, you know, where uh, you know you're going to have some people over and you know you're going to have, it's kind of like the main course, really. I mean, you're able to put something out like that and then just get away with, you know, a few bags of chips and stuff. It's expensive. The sub is expensive. And you have to order them well ahead of time. And you have to decide kind of like, well, I'm just going to go with, you know, the standard, you know, here's an Italian party sub. You know, you don't you don't really get too fancy with it yeah, In spring really. for the meatball parm. No, you know, I don't even know if they do something like that for a big sub. Like, I mean, maybe somewhere would, but um, it's it's quite a. Uh I don't know. It, it's it's a showy type of food to have at your party, right? Really. What a power move! Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I am so impressed with you right now. It's been a while. It's been a long, long time, Ben.
3: No, I'm not joking. I sincerely am impressed. I thought that only <laughs> happened in movies.
4: No, no, no. I mean, I've seen offices, you know, have have you know purchased things like that, you know, for um, corporate events or not our you know, office. <laughs> it's a little bit bitter today. <much>. I just think
3: it's cool. Uh, but
4: okay, maybe there maybe wow, that, that conversation took a left hand turn there, didn't it? Somewhere it did. along and I, the way. I'm not
3: bitter. I just think I I think that a giant sub is such a cool
4: move. Oh, it's fun. It's yeah. fun to it's fun to get one, but the problem is then you've you invariably at the end of the party you got, you know, three feet or four feet of, <laughs> of sub left over and it, it would it just takes you forever to get through that. You're never gonna finish it. You're gonna end up having to toss some of it, you know, Or I, bring it into the office.
0: Oh.
1: And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Witness
2: the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City.
3: Uh, mm-hmm. They're they're a fantastic ultralight organization, mm-hmm. and I I got a lot of information from them in preparation for this episode. They they will uh, break down the legality of ultralights. They'll also get this, folks, offer you free introductory flights. They do not come with a party sub, but <laughs> they do get you in the air, uh, <laughs> and they will, you know, they teach. They teach young pilots. They teach pilots of all ages. They have aviation scholarships. They have a sport pilot academy.
4: Um, they're out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, right? Yeah, that's and correct. That is a uh, that's a that's a place where they have an enormous um, uh, yearly air show where people fly in. And I know it's it's a, one of the most busy times of the year for them, of course. But it's it's a huge huge event. Hundreds of planes arrive, if not thousands. I don't know. It's a it's a giant show. I wish I had more information about it in front of me right now. But I remember Oshkosh being a huge center for, uh, you know, like a, a big yearly aviation show that people just kind of go crazy over. Mm-hmm. Lots of lots of things on display there at that time of year. You know, whether it's experimental things, it's you know just, um, you know, the, the routine flyovers that you see at most air shows. I love air shows. I God, air shows where, are so you cool. See jets. You see military aircraft. Mm-hmm. You see civilian aircraft. You see all kinds of things. You know, ground displays, all kinds of stuff like that. It's it's just a it's a neat place.
3: I don't know why it's escaping me. What, what are those amazing jets called?
4: Blue Angels? Yeah, the Blue Angels and there's yeah. the Thunderbirds. The Blue Angels, I think, are the Navy and the Thunderbirds are the Air Force, right? Is that right. I believe you're correct. Yeah, that's the two big, um, you know, factions here in the United States that that we see at a lot of uh, a lot of air shows. I know that there are others around the world, you know, that travel as well. I think the, the British Air Force has uh, their own set as yeah. well that travel and and you know perform. Um, Very accomplished pilots, of course, and, and man, they skilled.
3: I was thinking about this earlier in our previous episode on uh, famous stuntmen and the the famous events, like the jumping of the the, uh, uh, school bus and stuff like that. Yeah. I did not know this, but the United Kingdom had their own, like, royal motorcycle stunt team. Oh, really? Yeah.
5: Oh, I didn't know that. They
3: would do these precision performances. That's
5: interesting, yeah. Yeah,
3: that's cool. I think they shut down the operation now, but you you can check it out. I think they were called the Signals Royal something.
4: So these are like precision riders, right? These yes. are not not necessarily jumpers, but they're the ones that do like the the slow speed um, precision maneuvers where it's like a lot of like uh, you know two lines that kind of weave themselves in and out of each other, and, like and hop
3: on other people's bikes, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, man, for queen and country, you know, oh, that's, that's really cool. It's pretty cool, and I
4: picture them being on like giant heavy bikes. Is that the way it was? Because um, usually, usually those are like the big wide body. I don't I don't know motorcycles well enough to know the make and model and everything, but I would assume these aren't like the super light small. I
3: can't remember. You know, I was I was lazy as soon as I figured out that they weren't doing it anymore. Yeah, I I said, okay, (laughs) all right, let's (laughs) let's prepare for the show with something that
4: actually is still happening. I just feel like in the past I've seen something similar and it's always like those big. But, like, the big fat bikes that have, like, saddle bags, and they have, like, yeah. a front fender with lots of chrome around it, and they've got, like, a big wide saddle-type seat, you know, that, uh, that you can stand on. And, of course, I think that that plays into a lot of the tricks and things that they can do, like, you know, where they're, they're standing and saluting as they're all riding or, you know, whatever.
3: You know what it was? You know what those bikes were? What are they? It's going to make so much sense. What? Triumph.
4: Oh, of course. Okay. Of course, they are yeah, right. Of course, they're triumph bikes.
3: It's like it's like James Bond driving an Aston Martin. Yeah, it's a done deal. Of course, uh, they were. By the way, the Royal Signals Motorcycle Display Team. The Royal Signals. I'll look it up. Uh, so one thing that we we do want to emphasize for anybody considering building and flying your own ultralight. First off, yes, absolutely do it. I vote you do it if you have time have space. Oh, I know, man. I know. You and I were going to disagree on this one, Scott. And and Kurt, you're our tiebreaker. And uh, I I want you to know, I respect you even if you make the wrong choice. But <laughs> did you like that? Do you like I'm swaying the jury? Uh, yeah, no, I do. I'm, I'm going to still
5: have to side with Scott on this. I know. So. Uh, I know. It's man. just I can yeah, well, can't imagine the first uh, time you ever go up in one of these is basically. It's your first experience. It's it is, so, yeah. This would be so strange.
3: Someone had to be first. The Wright brothers You're technically right. Right. flew an ultralight. Yeah. The first uh the first time that man ever managed to fly. Hey
4: man, I'm I'm nervous the first time I take out like you know, like a lawnmower that I buy from the store. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Like you don't you know and I'm on the I'm on the grass. You know, I'm on the I'm on the, the lawn, you know, like worried <laughs> that something's not gonna work right. I mean, I can't imagine being two hundred feet in the air and worrying that something's not gonna go right. You know that's the problem, I think. Yeah, and yeah, it would just feel so unnatural after you lift off. I, you
5: know, you're you're like, okay, I would. This go is back, supposed to happen. Yeah, and I'm, but <laughs> it's just not right.
3: I would go <laughs> down really. I, I would go down really quickly. Definitely the first few times, it would be less of a of a flight, more of like an extended, like a jump. Hop. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like how the the Incredible Hulk doesn't actually fly; you just kind of jump.
4: Yeah, that's true. I guess you know that's probably how a lot of people approach this: is that you know like. You're kind of putting your, your toe in the water, you know, like you're just, get, you know, seeing how this thing operates a little bit. You don't just take off and expect to soar, you know, 500 feet in the air and, uh, and you know, have a, a great day circling the lake and then come home and land perfectly. It's not like that, I think. Right. You probably have to practice and practice and practice, you know, like, like you said, Ben, like maybe up in the air a little bit, land it, see how it goes. Maybe a little bit higher next time, a little farther next time, that type of thing, you know, but, kind of just yeah.
5: ease
3: into it. My thing would just be figuring out how to stick that landing, man. That's mm-hmm.
4: I think that's where a lot of people mess up. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you probably. I mean, just I've got feeling it's probably easy to get in the air in these things. I mean, it's it's relatively simple, relatively. Sure, yeah, landing is always the hard part, right?
3: Even in commercial aircraft. Now, you guys know I'm on the road a lot, and I have become acquainted to the different landing styles that different pilots have. Mm-hmm. And one of the, of course, you notice it more when you're toward the back of the aircraft. Yeah. But I was talking with someone who is a professional pilot, and he was telling me, uh, he he was telling me that our species' ability to create autonomous vehicles, at least for aircraft, is pretty impressive. And, you know, like takeoff and maintenance of flight and altitude, a lot of that can be handled by computer. Mm Mm-hmm the thing that people still have to do all the time is land the plane.
4: Yeah, and that's often the most rough part of the flight, if it you very notice Very much so, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you fly a lot, you realize that uh, a lot of those landings are, are white knuckle for everybody on board because it feels a little choppy, doesn't it? Sometimes you feel like you dip down real fast, and, and there's a lot of correction being made. Yeah. And, uh, how many, many bounces? Yeah, you've experienced some good ones, some bad ones. Yeah, right? oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not—it's— It's, it's Probably one of my least favorite parts of the of the flight. I always make sure
3: to uh to thank the pilot if there was an especially smooth or awesome landing. I'm kidding. I thank the pilot <laughs> all the time. I do too. Yeah. I think it's just the right thing to
4: do. Yeah. That's a that's good practice. Just to you know Hey, I appreciate it. You got to yeah. stay safe.
3: And that goes that goes far. People like to hear that. Yeah. One other thing to consider, if you are an ultralight, the captain of your own fate in the sky here in the United States, you need to know that you can only fly at certain times of day. Yeah. Right? You, yep. No night flights. Uh, I, I don't know how they prosecute that.
4: I uh, I looked at the... Li- yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, that's uh, they say no night flights, right? Okay, we know there's probably people that are flying at night. There probably are.
3: Well, see, this is what I wasn't clear on. The way that they have the twilight periods yeah. is interesting. So you can fly 30 minutes before official sunrise yeah. on a given day, and you can fly 30 minutes after official sunset and there's
4: an exception for alaska huh uh oh oh i know why because uh the land of the midnight sun um they're going to have uh really obtuse daylight hours and and evening hours at different times of the year that's why i i would think so they have a thing called civil twilight
3: in alaska civil twilight Hmm. which is defined in the air almanac and from what I can understand, it's kind of like, th- this is when we agree to behave as though it is <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs> that seems a little silly, doesn't it? But I guess,
4: I mean, you have to. I mean You have to.
3: And it's yeah. important for, for flight, especially because you can see how a, a, a tiny vehicle like this in the wrong place could be, it could be dangerous yeah. at night. Well, you
4: know? I can I can understand also like in a place like Alaska in a place that uh, places that are, are remote- I I would say in some cases desolate Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, a small plane like this would be extremely handy to own, you know, that you're able to get long distances quickly without much, you know, worrying about, you know, road conditions, whether it's snow or whether it's across Mm -hmm. water. Some of these are able to land on water even, you know, they have pontoons and um, are cert- not certified, but they uh, they're allowed uh, to land on water and take off from water, which is a, a, it seems like that would require more power and would be more difficult, I would think, for an ultralight. Yeah. Um, but anyways, there's there's a lot of instances I think where it would be very very helpful to own something like this, and probably a uh, because they're not well, I know this because they're not registered, they're not documented as being an aircraft that is, you know. I guess in uh, in operation right here at this moment you wouldn't know the percentage of airplanes that are in the air versus the percentage of airplanes that are registered in the air. So there might be a higher percentage of of you know these unrestricted planes they're flying mm-hmm. that than the government knows than anybody knows really. Um because people just have them in a the garage, they have them in a, a shed somewhere. The pull ones them out when need them. Them. Yeah, so, you know, you might have many, many of these operating and only a few registered planes operating, but you might have a lot of air traffic
3: in the area. Yeah, do you remember, I don't want to put you on the spot here, Scott, but do you remember the story you told me about the
4: homemade helicopter guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, and we talked about that on air, too, I think. Tough right? to forget. Yeah, that guy was like... He, he was, he was breaking the law, apparently. I didn't know that he was, wasn't was allowed to do this, right? Right. So Yeah, that's uh, where I'm going with this. Oh, well, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I, I'll i tell you, uh, just real quickly, though, the guy, I saw him regularly at, at one summer or maybe over a couple of summers. I can't remember which now. But um, this guy in, a, in a, what was clearly a homemade helicopter was flying around my area. And I'd just see him, you know, in a distance over the trees or whatever. But one day, I'm at an intersection, a, a busy four-way intersection, and the guy is hovering and circling over the intersection very very low i mean really low right and and then left and i just wanted to get the hell out of there i didn't want to be underneath this thing because I it almost looked like he was looking for a place to land or you know he's having trouble or he might just drop something yeah you don't know what's going on with it i mean that's i guess that's another danger that i didn't even think of you know like you could have somebody up to no good you know something with uh, somebody with you know some type of uh, nefarious thoughts or ideas you know incorporating these but tunish plan yeah but, but you know it's it is really but but it was it just seemed really dangerous that he was doing this yeah yeah and you're right
3: scott it is illegal ultralight vehicles in the US cannot be flown over any congested area of a city or town and they cannot be flown over an open air assembly of persons so, okay for that air show, I'm thinking with the ultralights, they're probably, and again, we haven't been. I'd love for us to go, but they're probably flying at a distance or in the foreground. Yeah, you
4: know? or or just simply on display. Or never, just on display, maybe, could call. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I but I don't think they're coming too close to the, the grandstands or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, that makes sense because you wouldn't want somebody in an ultralight deciding, hey, you know, I didn't get uh, tickets to that, you know— Georgia State University ball game. Maybe I'll just go buzz the uh, the stadium and see what's happening. You know, <laughs> catch the uh, catch the halftime show from the air. How I, about that? I am so sure someone's <laughs> tried to do that. Oh, it's, that's that's oh,
3: probably t- like the only ultralight crime that
4: has been prosecuted. That is a terrible thought. You know, actually, you know what? Now that we're talking about this, wasn't there a guy that parachuted in to a prize fight? That was an open. It was an open air prize fight. And I think it was in. Ve- I want to say it was in Vegas. Um, tried to land in the ring. Uh, he had he had one of those backpack uh, giant, um, Oh yeah, yeah. you know, uh, I forget what you call it, the uh, para, power parachute maybe or uh-huh. whatever you want to call that type of, uh, of ultralight. Yeah. Uh, he landed. It was a prize fight. It was a big, big fight. And, there, you know, there's videos of, of this happening. You don't, in the, the clip I saw anyway, you only kind of see the edge of him entering and you hear the crowd go crazy. Mm-hmm. They're on him, and I mean, they beat the crap out of this guy when he landed. I mean, people were upset because it's dangerous. I mean, it was really yeah, it was distir-
5: They called him the fan man, the fan it man was during the
4: Holyfield Riddick <laughs> Bow fight. That's the one, the second yes. One fan man, and fan man made an appearance somewhere else. I don't know what, I don't know where it was or what happened, but fan man was around. I mean, but he ended up getting just pummeled by the crowd at this at this fight. You know, he th- I suppose he thought it was a great. Um, I don't know if it was marketing or what it was, but I mean, or if he's trying to promote his own brand. I can't remember the whole story behind it, but if you look up uh, the fan man and and this this fight, this entrance into the fight where he lands in the ring while the fight is happening, it's it's insane. The uh, um, the the commentators go a little crazy, and you know, there's there's of course documentation of you know there, you could see him being beaten up by the crowd, and you know they're taking care of business, I guess there as a uh, you know as they they pull him into the the audience, but. Man, what a strange thing to happen!
3: I have a question. Okay, uh, this is a little bit of a turn. Sure. Do you think? Uh, do you think ultralight vehicles could be successfully used for illicit purposes like smuggling?
4: Do I think? Um, you know, it's funny. I. It seems like a, a good way to do it, but but th- their inability to carry much weight. Uh, is probably what what would hold them back from that. I mean, as small amounts, sure. Small amounts of whatever type of drug or material they're trying to carry, sure. that's fine. Uh, but I think w- if you're going to try to to carry any kind of uh, substantial load of of uh, drugs or you know whatever whatever the the material is, I think you'd have to have a, a heavier, bigger aircraft. And and they, they they typically do fly those aircraft just lower, right? So they're out of radar and. Um, they, they get caught anyway. They get tracked coming in. That, yeah,
3: that's the thing that's getting me because the airspace is pretty pretty heavily monitored mm-hmm. on the border. And I was looking into this. Uh, when I looked into it, I just found examples of things that had crashed or things that had been caught. Because, you know, it goes without saying, these guys are breaking all of those rules we just mentioned. Yeah, they right? don't care about the rules. No, they're flying at night. yeah.
4: It's too heavy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but, I, you know what? You're right. Put a bigger put a bigger engine on an ultralight and, and, you know, who's to say that you can't carry more weight? The weird thing is that
3: apparently border control has found fairly often, not even frequently, they found like abandoned ultralight aircraft mm. in some remote area near the border. It seems like the ones that primarily get caught are carrying marijuana or cocaine or methamphetamine and now that cartels are involved you know the cartels build submarines oh sure they were the guys reading boys life magazine (laughs) and actually buying the plans for these things
4: and they they just found just i mean this is just happening this week a couple days ago they found the longest underground tunnel uh between tijuana and and san diego i know we're taking another turn here san diego yeah I'm, i'm sorry yeah uh yes. Yeah, it's nearly a mile. That's am, am I mistaken? That's the nearest town to San Diego and um am I thinking of the right right town uh, San Diego and Tijuana? That's the border towns, right? Um on on the Mexican border. This mile this this uh this tunnel is nearly a mile long. It's like 4,900 feet long. It has a, a railway system. It has pressure, you know, like forced air induction, you know, for fresh air mm-hmm. has, um, you know, uh, um, electric lines for for lights. It had all kinds of things. I mean, and uh, they just found it, shut it down, of course. I mean, but yeah. uh, that's the longest one to date that they found an underground tunnel. But that's that's uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, I guess. They're underground instead of overground. <laughs> but, but I wonder if any of those uh, ultralights end up in government auctions. I mean, as dangerous as that might be, or if uh, they just destroy them, you know, just crush them. Cause,
3: I think a lot uh, of them are purpose-built or heavily modified to yeah. carry those packages. Oh,
4: that's right. So these are illegal ultralights anyways. They're not Truly, an ultralight. They're probably yeah. just like borderline regular aircraft that should be registered, right? Right, uh, or but cheap enough to abandon.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. It's just the cost of doing business, I think. But, but I, I'm just noting that these these things are very useful. So, you're in isolated areas like Alaska. You're a drug kingpin, I guess, or you're a, or you're a kid who wants to learn more about aviation and has some very trusting, permissive parents but you don't have the money to get a pilot.
4: So license. it's good for drug kingpins or children, is what you're saying. I mean, a lot of stuff is, you know, when you look <laughs> at the categories that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's okay. That's the opposite ends of the spectrum, and, uh, there and we go. of course, there's everything in between. Of course, like uh, delivering serum. Hey, you don't have to have a dog sled. You can just do it with uh, ultralights, right? Perfect, a yeah. A caravan of ultralights across Alaska. Now, that sounds like uh, just about <laughs> as dangerous as a
0: dog sled trip, really. Mm-hmm.
1: and if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase
2: witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city
3: And and we do want to recommend the EAA. Uh, it's it's a storied organization dates back to 1953. There, as you said, Scott in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. If you are curious about ultralights, learning more, building your own, then uh, this is a great place to start.
4: You know, there are a few other things that I want to mention before we uh, before we wrap here because um, yeah. I, I did want to get eventually to you know why I. Don't think this is a fantastic idea. But one thing I'll just get at this out of the way right now is um, I had a great uncle that perished in one of these at first oh, flight. Wow, First flight. Yeah, I'm holding my hands right here. The accident report from the NTSB from his flight. It was in 2005. So it was a long time ago. Um, older gentleman, but he was interested in aviation and of course, this is ter- this is terrible. He had my aunt there with him on the airstrip, and like he took off and he had done some high speed. I, I read the whole report just the other day for the first time, and uh, he had. I wasn't terribly close to him. I knew who he was, but sure. um, he's from this area. He's up in the, uh, um, uh, I think it's called Dickinson uh, County, up in uh, Tennessee. It's right okay. near right near Chattanooga. All right, so up in that area again, two thousand five, a long time ago. Uh, but he had built a uh, a craft, uh, an ultralight craft himself, and it was a Kolb Kolb K O L B Mark III, and it was an experimental aircraft. They're all, I think, at the time, it was experimental. They still sell that model. I looked on the the website to uh, to find that, and it's got a little bit of a um, kind of a little bit of bodywork to it. And it looks almost like a little Cessna or something like that, but it's <laughs> like the cheap cheap version of that. Um, he had built uh, built this one on his own, and first flight took off, and like just immediately hooks to the right hits a tree goes into a power line there's like this big fiery burning crash you know and and his wife is standing right there watching like as is the case with a lot of these amateur aviation fans folks that want to do this yeah you know it's a big deal when you're going out there for your first flight you want your family to watch right that's but but something bad like that can happen can and does happen um not just um not just you know this own my own little well, semi personal experience. I at the time, I mean, I knew when it happened. Again, I wasn't very close with the guy at, the, at all, so I didn't know him very well outside of, you know, a few family reunion contacts and that kind of thing. Um, but there are other people that, you know, other that all of us might know that fly ultralights as well. Um, there are celebrities, a lot of celebrity pilots out there. And we know that, you know, a lot of them fly fixed-wing aircraft that are sure. regular registered aircraft. There's, you know, a, a huge long list of people. There's Harrison Ford. There's, you know, Bob Lutz, if you're an automotive fan. You know, he flies all kinds of aircraft as well. I think the uh, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt they both were were uh, accomplished pilots or are accomplished pilots. There's a lot of people. Of course, uh, Bob Denver, he was one that flew unfortunately flew an experimental aircraft, I believe, and, and that was his John Denver. Know? John Denver, yeah, a yeah. long time ago. That, that was uh, I think they might even have deemed that a possible suicide, maybe. Oh, um, wow. I've mm. seen at least I've seen that. Really? Um, like that's kind of up in the theory. air. There was like some... I, I was reading about it yesterday. A little bit of conspiracy, I guess, you know, whether or not that was. It was there was also like a, um, a question of how the aircraft was modified. He had changed... Or the previous owner had changed the location of a... Um, either a fuel tank switch or something like that. Yeah, was or supposed like a lever to be, or something? Yeah, it was supposed to be like down between the pilot's legs, like between his knees when you're flying. And they had... The, the owner before that had moved it to above his left shoulder, I think, or something Uh like that. So there's a question about all that, but that was not an ultralight. But people that do fly ultralights, um, Enrique Iglesias flies an ultralight. In fact, that's how he learned to fly. uh, (laughs) I thought you were going
3: to say, in fact, that's why he's famous. No,
4: (laughs) no, 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 no. no. Uh, uh, Enrique, I have a hard time with that name, Enrique Iglesias, uh, he actually uh, flew an ultra, a two-seater craft, which I... Okay, he had to have been outside the U.S. when this was going on, right? I would mm-hmm. I would think. But it, this is the thing, is that he learned to fly cruising between his home in Miami and Key Largo, Florida. So he's flying all the way across the state of, uh, of Florida in this ultralight that he had built himself or, or had purchased, I guess. That's where he learned to fly. Even John Travolta, who is another one that flies a lot of big planes, we think of him as like... You know, jet pilot. He flies helicopters. He flies. You know, the, of course, he's got his own uh, seven hundred seven, a Boeing that he he parks at his own house. We've all seen the photos of that, right? With he lives in that community where he has you know a mansion that you can park your own jet and your own hangar right there on the on the airstrip. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everybody got their own runway. Uh, but he also owns two ultralights, which I thought was kind of interesting. So outside of outside of those, I couldn't find any other celebrities that are flying in ultralights, but. Um one thing that I, I did want to mention here is something that I'd kind of forgotten about back in two thousand and five also same year that my uncle um, had his accident, John Walton, who was the billionaire son of Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, he also died in an ultralight crash, uh, which is strange. I mean uh, he was fifty eight years old at the time this is this happened in June of two thousand and five. Wow. And he was in a, uh, a CGS Hawk Arrow ultralight when he went down. And he crashed, I guess, shortly after taking off from Jackson Hole Airport. Same type of thing happened. It was He was the only one in the accident, of course, a single seater. But um, tragedy there, of course. I mean, he probably would be running the Walmart, you know, Empire at this point. Yeah, the Empire at this point It had that not happened. But, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, isn't it, really? I mean, yeah. it, it sounds so appealing. It sounds like so much fun to be able to build your own craft and to be able to, you know, do this all on your own and be proud of it. And, and you know, it, it's kind of that intrigue of, you know, when you build like, um, I don't know, like a go-kart or something like that, sure. or even, even like that lawnmower that I'm talking about. You build something yourself, and you're proud of it. But, man, you've got to have a lot of faith in your own work to take that up in the air if it's if it's unchecked by anybody that really knows what they're doing and you are relatively unskilled or even completely unskilled to have the faith in that thing to take you up to a distance that you would not normally want to jump from. You know, that's that's the thing like you if you don't want to fall <laughs> that it. far, don't fly it that high. You know, that's, well, that's, I've heard that from many people about ultralights. Yeah,
3: and uh, be aware that you're going 60 miles an hour in the sky.
4: Yeah, There's no, that's also another good point. I, you know, I don't even factor the speed in it. I just always think of the height. But you're also going 60 miles an hour at, you know, you're three 300 feet in the air. That's the other thing. And, you know, you're you're over, you know, woods, you're over... It doesn't matter what you're over at that point, really. I mean, you're over water, you're in trouble. Right, uh, but to, to Kurt's point... Uh,
3: just because you, you know, we were talking about that first moment when you take off, just because you are not legally required to have a license doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, get some training. You can find tons of certified ultralight flight instructors. Uh, you, even if you are already a, a pilot in the world of general aviation, it's worth your time, you know, get 10, 20 hours of instruction. And you'll be in a much
4: safer, much more enjoyable place. That's a very good piece of advice because I mean, w- why not get yourself, you know, certified in other types of aircraft? So you get the feel, the general, you know, idea of, w- of what flight's all about. Uh, you'll know, you know, what to watch for, what to be worried about, what to not be worried about. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a, I mean, that's a, a big part of this whole thing. I guess is that once you have that insider's knowledge about what's what's really a danger what's not really a danger and what you should be you know have your your eyes open for and your ears open for uh when you're in this type of craft uh, That's 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 a whole different ball of wax and, a, and an ultralight so yeah get some certification instruction ahead of time if you want to do it right mm-hmm. and, uh, and and do have somebody check it out you know if you're going to build one of these have somebody that knows what they're doing look at it to to make sure that you know you've got the right type of fasteners on that thing. You've got the right type of guy wires that are going from, you know, the, the yoke to all the control surfaces on the plane and that everything's operating the correct way and that you're using the right types of lubrication and you're using the right types of wheels for that landing gear because that's critical as well. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Just there's there's so much, you know, again, I just get, I keep coming back to this, but, like, I've had cars that, cars, I'm on the ground, that just conk out on me at, at the most inopportune times, And the same thing with you know other small things like lawnmowers that just suddenly stop working, and that's terrifying to me that that could happen to you when you're in the air, and this leads to a fall. I mean, it really does lead to a point where Kurt and I were discussing this before that you might have a a low altitude parachute that you can you know attempt to throw out, you know that you can you can bail on the plane, but there's that a few you know even a couple seconds costs you a lot of altitude, and you don't have the opportunity then to make that decision. You, you know, you don't even have the opportunity to throw out the parachute. It doesn't work at that low of an altitude. So you have to make these decisions quick, and you have to decide, okay, where is that plane going to end up when I, you know, abandon yeah. it? You know, yeah. that's another factor. Mm-hmm. You know, do you stay with the craft? I mean, I think that's generally the the uh, the thought is that you stay with the craft as long as you can, and you you make every attempt to make sure that it's not going to end up somewhere that it shouldn't. If you do have to bail, but then again, you've lost altitude. I mean, it's just this. There, there's so many thoughts that have to go into the the uh-huh. bailout procedure that I don't know if many people even get the opportunity to do that before they go down. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. A lot of this is terrifying to me, but it's also sort of intriguing. I sort of want to do it. I sort of want you know the thrill, the feel of it. I'd love to be in a craft that I built and and feel that moment when it takes off the ground. That's got to be so satisfying.
5: Yeah. As far as training goes, it looks like they do have two-seater ultralight-style planes. Trainers? Can, I think so. So I guess they wouldn't be classified as an ultralight since it's a yeah. two-passenger, but it's the same type of plane. Hmm. It's just like a side-by-side 2 It's like
4: teaching a kid to drive properly. Yeah. It's like, all right. So you
5: can get that sensation of yeah. lifting off and landing yeah. and makes sense. Maybe so
4: control it. I guess it must be a registered craft.
5: Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And they probably have different insurance requirements and things like sure. that. Oh, and that.
3: That's cool. That pilot is registered and rated properly. Well,
5: I feel a little better about that then.
3: I don't know, man. In the course of this, especially when we took the turn and we we're talking about the different dangers that are largely unregulated. And I get it. I like that there's not a ton of regulations, mm-hmm. but it does lead to these dangerous situations. I don't know, you guys are kind of persuading me, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just continue trying to get on the Goodyear blimp, because yeah. airships and dirigibles, that's where it's at, you know. Uh, they're high enough that you don't have to worry about a, a lot of things ultralights have to worry about. What about your wingsuit? The wingsuit is still in play, okay. still very much in play. Uh, I just have to work out some details, mainly budgeting and trying to convince our boss to spring for a wingsuit. Would that work from the top of this building, or would you have to go higher? I think you would have to go higher. Oh, okay. Our building, now I'm not an expert, but our building here is about 10 stories. Yeah. Uh, But, I don't know. You should give it a shot. I should just go for it, right?
5: (laughs) Well, you'd probably need a little little space to at least run out a landing. You know, you want an open field or something, I don't there's not a good landing zone around here. No. This
3: feels like it might be my last episode. <laughs> if I try this out. I, I don't, uh,
5: I, I love the idea of a wingsuit, but I
3: haven't, I haven't tried. I, you know, years and years ago, and I think you know this story, Scott, I don't know if you do, Kurt, but years and years ago, uh, we had uh, this conversation with Red Bull and they, they were like, hey, let's work together somehow. And we said, okay, well, what kind of stuff do you want to do? And uh, the people we were talking to were like, well, check this out. This is sort of the kind of stuff we do. And it's the cliff diving wingsuit thing, which yeah. is incredibly dangerous. Oh, takes an insane I, amount of skill. But
4: I love the videos from this. It's amazing. The point of view videos where yeah. they're just soaring through the, the, the woods like an opening. Yeah. Uh, but right down the face of a mountain. And it's fantastic.
3: Yeah, so maybe we could do ten stories, but I don't. I don't know, man. I don't know. If I think maybe mm. I'm a, I'm an airship. Now, I, guy. Okay,
4: but what are you gonna do? You're gonna jump off the building. You're gonna glide over to Home Depot. You know?
3: Yeah, and just walk there. No, just, I just mean, I I no, I'm gonna like it. I'm like that prize fight guy.
4: You know, it's about the entrance. <laughs> 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 maybe I'll just get a key made. Oh, seriously, you gotta you gotta look up, fan man. That is such. It, it's oh, man. It's it's just so bizarre. It's such a strange occurrence. You know, it's one of those live television moments I think too that you know, are just you, you can't capture that any other way than just you have he had to have been watching at the time because of the of when it happened. I don't think it was really I don't, I don't think we were in the on-demand era of television is what I mean. You, know? right. like you had to have seen it or just catch the clip elsewhere, but now, of course, we can watch it on YouTube or wherever you know, and, and go back and, and see it and relive it, but um, it's one of those things that if you missed it the night it happened, I think you just missed it.
3: Yes, but hopefully everybody who is flying an ultralight craft or interested in building one will have a safe and fun adventure. We would love to see photographs of your ultralight. We would love to hear your ultralight stories. We would love to hear any tips and tricks you might have for your fellow listeners, especially if they're getting into ultralights. I will keep everybody in the loop regarding this wingsuit situation. I do also, by the way, speaking of, uh, these different kinds of endeavors, uh, I do understand that NASA, A, does not have a, quote-unquote, spare spacesuit laying around, <laughs> and uh, B, they do not sell them to civilians.
4: No matter how many times you call. <laughs> no
3: matter who you call, no matter how, how many letters you send. Uh, so, But, but uh, it is possible to get into the Goodyear blimp, theoretically. Oh, so yeah. I think our two, our, for our weird aviation venture, I think our two strongest things are either building an ultralight and drawing straws to see who has to fly it or trying
4: to get into the Goodyear blimp. Does it have to be the Goodyear blimp? Because I recently saw the uh, the MetLife blimp here in town. I don't know what it was here for, but it was after we had recorded one day a couple weeks ago.
3: You know what? That's great.
5: Yeah, any yeah. blimp.
4: Any blimp. Any blimp. Any blimp. Okay, well. Kurt, are you in? For the blimp ride? Yeah.
5: Yes. Not for drawing straws with ultralight proposal. <laughs> I don't think we'd have to draw straws. I think you would be the one. I yeah. would because probably. Because me and yeah. Scott I think you guys so. Are out?
4: Well, I, are you out? I'm out. Okay. Yeah, I will. Yeah. I'll watch. Yeah, I, I don't think it would be me. You'll clap at the crash. Yeah, <laughs> that would not clap at the crash. That's terrible. What a terrible thing to say. No, I would. Uh, I would. I would mourn uh, your passing. But um, whoa, dude. If you,
3: if, no, I've like, I'm going to go up a little bit, <laughs> and then go back on the grass. Oh, no, no.
4: I, <laughs> you're talking <laughs> oh, about I, a tumble. I'm sorry. <laughs> a, I had, light a tumble. I, I just pictured a different outcome from this whole thing. <laughs> <That's> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no we really shouldn't joke about this stuff i mean seriously it's it's a serious game but you know it, it also could be a, it could be a lot of fun it really could and I don't want to discourage anybody from building one if you want to try it try it i mean if you yeah. if you're into that kind of thing do it. it it looks like a blast it, it's it's one of those things that looks like so much fun but I just don't know if I could do it myself right now maybe mm. 15 20 years ago i I would try it
3: I just the last thing I'm going to say for today's episode. First off, also find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so on. Uh, last thing I'm going to say is Scott, Kurt, there is an ultralight manufacturer in Marietta, Georgia, hmm. right up the way from us. That's uh, that's a short drive from here. The Vintage Ultralight and Light Plane Association of Marietta, Georgia. Hmm.
4: I had no idea. Let's check that out. I wonder. You know, I wonder if we've seen any other aircraft overhead i mean it it seems like they would be doing test flights near this area you would think i don't know it's possible why possible vintage aircraft too that's interesting i wonder if they i wonder if that's a separate category i wonder if they you know also do biplanes and things like that because i i have seen biplanes in the area Mm -hmm. i know that you can you know purchase rides in a biplane if you want to you know for an evening again like a sunset trip and I've also seen them towing advertising around, so you know they're, they they definitely are attention grabbers.
3: They were uh, they specifically focused on what's called the vintage ultralight SR1 Hornet, and it's it's one of those places where they send you the plans to construct it. Oh so. ah, okay, all right. So maybe I'll build a maybe I'll
4: build a Hornet. That'd be cool. Build it here in the office. I think we could get away with. it. They're kind it. of small enough, and I don't know if they're modular. You know, if you could do that, and then uh, you know cart the whole thing out
3: the plans are uh 35 bucks which is super affordable
4: that's really not bad at
3: all i kind of want to get the plan i I (laughs) gotta get out (laughs) of (laughs) here
4: well that you have to get your uh gyro oh man Oh gyro i'm sorry gyro oh man there's so many things six foot party sub dare to dream right yeah fly
5: it in on an ultralight You'd have to carry it this this way. You couldn't carry it long ways. <laughs> you'd have to carry it in like, the aerodynamic yeah. fashion. It'd be like <laughs> it was jousting. You don't want that thing to catch wind.
4: <laughs> <laughs> now, that is funny. It's like you got to carry it like a torpedo <laughs> almost. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they make a special box.
5: That's a funny container. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That box well, I mean, is not very you, aerodynamic. If you had a small car, you'd have to put it on the roof or something.
4: I ah, guess you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I so mm-hmm. wonder if you have to they tie it. they probably red,
5: make a container. I'm sure they do. Tie like red a red flag
4: in the back yeah. so no one runs <laughs> yeah, right. into it. Right. Right. <laughs> right, well, this is a plan.
5: All right. That's what we do here. We make plans.
4: Yeah. We're ID, guys. Yeah. Car Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.